0: Marco, we're ready to go. We've got a huge stack of discs. This is, we've got a short time to get everything done. This is this is going to be one of the most intense digital noises ever. Boy, help feel, the feeling we're missing something. Yeah. I mean, I've I know I've got the ladders, uh, nice. I've got the caltrops, I've got the ninja costumes. Uh, 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 you forgot the most important thing: throwing beer. stars. Oh, beer. Well, and where to begin? Welcome to Digital Noise, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it We're feels like panic. so long We're since we've been. It feels like so long since we've been here. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it was what just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and the amazing thing is, we didn't scare you off with your first endeavor. No, no, no I'm Congratulations. to try it again.
1: Uh, I, I almost. I almost had some doubts once I saw the stack of titles in front of us but, uh, You know, we got through most of them And I think there's some good ones in the bunch worth talking about There are some
0: very good ones in the bunch and this week a few week.
1: that, you know, we can just skip over A few or we just, can mention We can mention There's few that, some honorable few that, mentions
0: few that are things that exist on plastic And you can buy them And we're not going to say you can't Absolutely <laughs> not we're going to start off this week, Mar- Oh, by the way, it's me, Richard. Yes, hi, this is Marco again. <laughs> Yay!
1: Second we- time around.
0: Reunited, and it feels so... It's
1: it, it's pretty good, it's actually. Better, I'm okay yeah. with it. I'm yeah, very good. You know, um, better than a kick in the head. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, it depends who's kicking you. It depends on which movie you've seen, because some of these movies felt like a kick in the head, but
0: not uh, yeah. all of them. Yeah, and it must be said, they, they nobody wrote a song uh, called, called uh, He Kicked Me in the Head and It Felt Like a Kiss. Um, that was an obscure reference for all you musical fans uh, out there. Oh, yes. Anyway, if we're going to do this, you know what we should do? We should get on with the reviews. The reviews. Let's yes, move forward, let's do it. Sir. You know what? i had to start this with the title you saw and I didn't, and that's Zipper. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to go from A to Z. We're starting with the Z. Yep.
1: Okay. Zipper. Uh Zipper, if you've... Alright, s- oh, the only thing I can say about Zipper is that According to The Box, and I don't blame the filmmakers for this But on The Box, it bills itself as a political thriller I think that's a bit misleading It's more of a domestic drama character study With some political window dressing Basically, this feels like an extended subplot From an episode of House of Cards Drawn out to two hours It's not bad It's certainly uh, got a great cast uh, Patrick Wilson Lena Headey Ray Winston John Cho Richard Dreyfuss you know you can't do wrong with a cast like that oh, seemingly you can from your, well, from
0: your lackluster I, I, <laughs> I think
1: the problem is if you come in expecting a political thriller you're going to be disappointed because when I think of political thrillers I think Venture Candidate, Parallax View 12 Days of the Condor stuff like that even All the President's Men this really doesn't have much in the way of stakes Uh, Patrick Wilson is a uh, U.S. attorney uh, who's got some political ambitions. He's being groomed for a Senate uh, or congressional uh, position. Uh, And at some point, he develops an addiction to sex. Uh, He surfs uh, porn regularly, but at some point, he crosses a line and begins to uh, frequent prostitutes. And
0: hang on hang on wait oh, this is supposed to
1: damage his career he, exactly <laughs> yeah, but, which is why the thriller aspect really doesn't work I, it feels like okay i see why your marriage is falling apart it doesn't really begin to pick up steam until the second half uh when he very foolishly decides to insert himself into a case hang he on. realizes Pardon? that they're what phrasing Ins- yes uh hmm i'll try to be careful around this for the delicate listeners out there uh At some point, he realizes that the escort agency he's been frequenting is coming under investigation, and he foolishly tries to get involved with the case when he should not. And you see his life kind of start to crumble as he tries to cover his tracks. Uh, Patrick Wilson, I think, is really good in this. I think it's a very strong performance Uh, across the board. The characters are really good, well-drawn. Again, I think you're going to be disappointed if you came in here expecting a political thriller and you end up getting a domestic drama about a man whose marriage and career is falling apart and the stakes aren't ever much higher than his political ambitions may be thwarted before they even begin. So there's no violence in this. There's no gunshots. There's no fights. You know, it's not that kind of thriller. No one's life is ever threatened. Uh, The worst threat comes to, you know... His marriage, But acting is good, performances are good, uh, I would have liked this movie better maybe if someone like David Fincher or better yet David Cronenberg had directed it. Uh, I thought they could have gone a lot weirder with it and a lot more subversive. That being said, if you got nothing better to watch, this isn't bad, just temper your expectations
0: and uh, stay for the Patrick Wilson performance. He's on a roll because he's one of the best things about Bone Tomahawk, which I which I love, which is out oh, this Oh really? Week, I've heard that. Yeah, it's it's really great. But yeah, he he nobody does furrowed eyebrows quite as well as him. He's he's a man who's like has this permanent hmm, this isn't going right expression on his face. If working. you
1: like that expression, you will really like this film then, because his eyebrows are furrowed from pretty much frame one. So if you want to see uh, Patrick Wilson furrow his eyebrows, try not to be interested in having sex with Lena Headey, and simulate masturbation repeatedly, this is the movie for you. <laughs> it's
0: a hobby. Yeah, you know. I guess. I'm not going to judge. Speaking well, of weird sex. Speaking of weird sex, we're going to go from, from uh, Z for Zipper, which w- would have been funnier. It, please tell me at least one person gets their... Uh, I don't want to spoil the zipper reference. It does show up towards the end, and I go, oh, that's why the name zipper's in there. And it's... Okay, it's but, uh, clever <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's a hilarious opportunity for a porn spoof of this yeah. oh, oh yes <laughs> <laughs> But to go from Z, Z, or as proper people call it, Z uh, To A for Alleluia uh, Which is a uh, 2014 Belgian-French <sighs> Erotic crime drama makes it sound like it's something it's not really yeah. Um, it's actually based on the true story of the honeymoon killers, right. who were a. Uh, this, was, this is a story Late filmmakers. 40s. Yeah, filmmakers keep coming back to this again and again and again, because they were. It sounds kind of you know, like it's going to be different than it was. You know, this couple who start he starts seducing other women and they work together to kill them and take their money. Well I mean, you know, he looked like a wharf rat and and, and she looked like she made pies out of wharf rats. They were not it's it, it's it's kind of bizarrely low level asexual. Um but then this iteration it's updated. Uh it's moved to Belgium. Um the the couple he's done this before uh and Kind of, he's for, a gigolo yeah, and a con man. Yeah, he's a and a bit of a scumbag. Fact, yes, absolutely. Quite a lot of I mean, it's kind of ambiguous whether he's actually killed any of his, his uh, the women he seduced before. It, it I it get the impression that talk. never happens. Yeah, but he, he, when that's that's the nice thing here that Laurent Lucas uh, is uh, this aging out gigolo who feels that he's kind of run out of options in life falls in with Gloria who's this you know single mom hasn't really got much she's really excited about in her life Yeah, you know, she, she falls in with, with she him. actually fits the profile
1: of all of his victims yes. which is a lonely woman of a certain age whose options are drying up and suddenly finds this man who gives her attention who treats her well uh, who is a very good in bed by all accounts and All of this he's learned how to do for the sake of stealing these women's money. But what happens along the way is... Which is why I don't think he's really a killer. I don't think this is a spoiler talk either. But that's that's his thing. I mean, this is his job, and he's managed to keep doing it for many years because the worst thing he's ever done is stake some money. But he brings this new woman into the equation who suddenly goes from victim to
0: accomplice. And then things get really, really weird, quickly. Yeah, she's a little bit too eager to get bloody. And yes. this, is a, this is told in chapters, as they, move, as they move from woman to woman to woman, and she's the only one who goes, no, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. I like it. I like the fantasy that he has sold me, and I'm going to take it to extraordinary extremes. Um, and what you have this series of basically scams Yes. As they find a way to insinuate themselves into a woman's life, get to a position where he absolutely has her faith, and then she kills them. Right. Except it's
1: never, it is never part of the plan to kill them, I don't believe. At least not in the beginning. Certainly not the first one. By the third. She (laughs) tends to kill them before he can collect. Which is kind of getting on his nerves. And this is part of the dynamic of their relationship. Because while he appreciates the attention from her and the confidence and having someone he can finally share his true self with, she's kind of bad for business. Because she can't be professional while they're doing this. And I think one of the interesting things about the film is yes, the the Gigolo character uh, uh, I can't remember his name, Michelle, even though he is very important, this is really, I think, her story and I think it's largely filtered through her perspective, and as you see the film move forward it starts to get a little bit more surreal and weird at times, and you really feel like this is a woman whose life has become unhinged it is uh, a love that has driven her insane, and it's a very unhealthy relationship, but, again, the performances are so strong, the atmosphere is so good, and there's some real dark wit, uh, especially in the later chapters, that I think make this film worth watching. This was actually, I thought, one of the better films uh, from this particular batch that we had to go
0: through. Well, you know, the real standout here is Lola Dunas as Gloria, <laughs> Uh, she picked up multiple awards uh, last year. Yeah, well, it's uh, multiple awards performance. It's, you know, she's, she is she is great in this. She's one of the best. You know, I I liked this. I didn't love it. Uh, I, I found there was a lot to admire. I um, I felt the chapter structure <sighs> quasi worked, uh, and I I, you know, I don't have a problem with with chapter structures. I am. Yeah, I, I will quite happily sit through the the most alienation effect heavy Bertolt Brecht plays. I don't have an issue with that. I thought it, it almost felt a little gimmicky here. Sure, it, it petered did. out a little bit to the end. Um, I mean, it's if you if you, if you abram- move those out of the way, if you cut the chapter
1: headings, you would not notice anything missing. Yeah, but you know, definitely worth watching. Uh, I know, I think I may have liked it a little bit more than you did, but.
0: Oh well, yeah, I, I liked it. But I liked it. I think too, it was but... it, it was uh, I, I, over my shoulder all the time. Um, was the uh, the wonderful Sightseers by Ben Wheatley, which kind of deals with similar a hmm. similar topic, with a much broader, darker sense of humour. I, I thought that was that was rather rather wonderful. And I, this, I thought, it deals with a lot of the same things, but in a kind of more arch way. And I, I do like the new wave of, of kind of French Belgian psychological horrors i think they're doing some really interesting things i think sometimes they're more successful as experiments yeah than full-blown films i think this, this is one of them i i mean i, I do recommend it I'm it's just a like, hard movie to love but oh it's in, a very tough movie but, to love. but in but it's a, a genre to... that
1: offers so much of the same you kind of have to give this film a lot of credit and it kind of suffers i think a little bit from the same problem i had with zipper which is the box says it's a political thriller uh, but it's really more of a drama. This film is billed more as a horror or psychological horror, but for most of it, it's really more of a drama. Yeah. There's not... Towards the end, things start to get a little bloody, but compared to your typical horror film, this this does not really qualify as that. You cut out the... There's a reason why this movie has or this story has been adapted so many times, usually as a crime thriller or as a drama. This is seen through a contemporary sort of horror lens, but... It's at, at its heart, it's a psychological story, and not what I would consider a true horror film. Uh, there's not a lot of scares in it, but definitely the performances are worthwhile, and it is genuinely disturbing, as opposed to a lot of movies that try to be horror and just kind of offer cheap scares and nothing more. This has got
0: some meat to it. And it really is the week of... Oddly erotic movies uh, <laughs> like, moving, yeah. moving on to uh, another two th- yeah. uh, british a, a European movie. This time, British. Hooray! Mm-hmm. Uh, the Falling.
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Now the director uh, Carol Morley did a great documentary a few years ago. That was basically trying to reconstruct the the last few years of this woman who died alone in her apartment in London, and just to work out like how do you so completely fall off the grid that nobody finds your body for three years. I've heard of this Uh, I've seen it. It's really fascinating Um, but it kind of sets up, there's a kinship here because there's this feeling of this is about alienation to a certain degree but this is a very peculiar little story that kind of pulls in a a lot of real world influences and almost too many Uh, it's Mm -hmm. set in 1969 in a uh, an English girls' school. Uh, there's these two two young girls, uh, Lydia played by Maisie Williams, who will have been know uh, from uh, Game of Thrones, uh, and Abby played by uh, Florence Pugh. Pugh is a real name, and it's spelled P U G H. In case you're wondering, um, who they they have a very close relationship of the kind that uh, psychological dramas set in British school British English British girls schools in the 1960s you pretty much presume that they're going to have there are sapphic overtones from moment one but Abby is starting to you know move on in her life that she's getting Interested in boys, And a very specific boy. Yes, a very specific, very specific, very boy. specific, very boy. specific boy
1: who might be one of the only two male characters. This in is, this, this, this is this is almost completely
0: yeah. female
1: cast. You, you feel men more as an absence than a presence in this film, and and I think that is the or the, or the other of this terms film. when they turn
0: up, they are interlopers. Almost yes,
1: or. or You're correct, in that they are not very well defined or necessary. This seems to be an almost hermetically, except for like one male professor who teaches science. Everybody in this movie is either a mother, a sister, a daughter, a schoolgirl, a teacher, uh, almost entirely women. So the few, there's only, I think, two men in this movie, and they're both, to a certain extent, objects of desire. Uh, And they look very similar as well. Yes, and so I thought that was kind of a nice change of pace i mean we often see you know the token girl in in a sort of horror film and here it's a sort of a token male but it adds a really horrific twist to it while this film doesn't really fall in a horror and i think we're going to say that a lot tonight uh it's not quite a horror it's not quite really what we're going to say movie, that about one film that's
0: supposed to be later uh, on as yeah. well. <laughs> uh,
1: what what this film actually made me remind what reminded me of it as uh, more a. Uh, uh, like the the Peter Weir film, *Picnic
0: at Hanging Rock*, very and so. also uh, *Heavenly Creatures* to a certain extent. I Although, think those are the films that everybody goes for. Although this is the weird thing, because you suddenly also get very overt references to the devils, because something mm-hmm. happens to yeah. one of the girls, and she has a she has a fainting uh, right. fit, yeah. and then it Which is seems where the falling that this becomes from. infectious. Right. and it's about whether is it's mass there a, hysteria, yeah? And does it, that exist as a phenomenon? But it, the problem this had, there's there's many things I liked about it, but I increasingly found was like there were too many things I liked about it because there were too many things in here. Yeah, it's so overloaded with. Yeah, every issue of taboo sexuality of the 1960s you can possibly think of including at least one that's still pretty damn taboo the time uh, frame
1: is not accidental on this film no no I no I think no. this is a period where the culture is changing and you don't really even this could be in the, almost in the 1900s at some point and then
0: you hear You hear a '60s pop song, and you go, "Oh, that's right!" Or or one of the teachers goes, "Well, I still got to school on time when there were uh, doodlebugs raining down on us." And I'm like, "You know, there's little moments that are that are very time specific." Doodlebugs, by the way, are bombs, not you know infestations of creatures. These were the the uh, the names that were given to the uh, German flying bombs that uh, rained down on London during World War II. Um, the
1: culture is going through a shift, and women's gender roles are shifting as well. You've seen women go into the workplace. Uh, the Maisie Williams character, uh, her mother works from home. And it's a single family uh, at a time when that's still kind of frowned upon. And the father, the absent father, is also kind of an important subplot. As we I, I hear exactly what you're saying in that this film tries to do so many things. I think it's, it tries to be very lyrical very poetic it's not following some traditional three-act structure with all the beats sometimes scenes are just merely fragments or little moments the weakness for me is when at the end they try to then bring tie it all up together and it doesn't quite support everything that's come before
0: and it, it it, the end of the first act is actually about 20 minutes in you're kind of blindsided there's a a pivotal moment where you go Wait, hang on. That happened? Oh, this what? isn't going to be heavenly creatures. No, this, uh, it had. To, I mean, it definitely beats to its own drum. But I do feel that it kind of sets stuff up, and then either suddenly goes off in a direct, a different direction because it doesn't. It, yeah, but this is almost a tone poem feel to this. Yes, which kind of works in places. It and feels then like a like, short story. Can you can you deal with that bit first? Yeah. And before you before you launch into another side plot, Like there's there so many riches that you're right; they don't and have time to pay them all off. There's a lot of interchangeable schoolgirls that are very t- very hard to tell. about there's also yes. one who is so horribly overwritten because uh, she uh-huh. basically has to be the deus ex machina figure. Yeah, she's the only one that's not affected by the haunting, which uh, by, actually by the, bugs the, me the,
1: because that never goes anywhere.
0: Yeah, she she's just kind of annoying. And I'm like, really? Did we did we have to have her? Because she doesn't really add anything. Yeah. It would be like having somebody walk into the middle of the devils and go, well, actually... And everybody goes, oh, okay. You well, know, she really kind of bursts the bubble of I, the I kept difficulty. waiting for that to pay off
1: in an interesting nope. way, and it never did. It's just, oh, there's one person that just doesn't... Maybe she was the most well-adjusted of all the girls. I don't know that she was immune to it. Uh, and again, there's a real question whether... Uh, it should be noted that most of the teachers... Uh, again, predominantly female, believe this to be a hoax. Think the girls are just
0: acting, playing <laughs> out until they, <laughs> they, they start. Basically, to... go. Teenagers are really annoying. Yeah, There's a, and there is, and, and it, it does that balance quite well. Of basically going that you know the girls believe this is real, but that doesn't make it real, right? But does it make it anything less real to deal with the fact that it, it may not be real? Which that is an interesting subject in and of itself,
1: independent of all these ideas about gender roles of developing female sexuality. I mean, the very theme of mass hysteria could have been tackled, yet it envelops all these other themes that it just kind of spreads itself too thin. Uh, But I think the most uh, compelling part of it, for me anyway, is when uh, the Maisie Williams character at some point finally says, look, you know, stop letting them tell you. We're not that, you know, we're making this up. You know, you have to speak out. You have to... Because basically, as a society, they're telling all these girls, look, your little opinions don't matter. Nobody believes you. You're not a problem. Just just go away. Stop, stop uh, trying to get attention. And to me, there is something poignant in that, in that you have all these women who are trying to be taken seriously while they're having this weird illness, and as a society, they're rejected. They're told they're wrong, they're crazy, they're hysterical. I mean, again...
0: Uh, hysteria is a very loaded word these days. But I will but say But they do this actually at one watching. point say, oh, you know, they actually point to the linguistic origin right. and the etymology of the word hysteria. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I still can't feel there's like 20 other films that have kind of done this well. Yeah. It, it, it's really smartly done. Yes. But it's a. It, the poetry it goes for sometimes it gets in the way of the story and the ending ends up being too prosaic oh the poetry the en- that the ending before- actually really kind of bugged me because I'm like none of this would make sense for anything that's happened before and suddenly these characters are acting pretty much out of, out of character but eh you know, you, it's you a hard do?
1: we don't have enough time I think to really parse it but would you say this is a film worth watching
0: I would I, I would. would but I yeah. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a film wa- worth watching five times. No, no, it's worth watching once, and it's a good conversation starter. It's no, the Muppets take Manhattan. I tell you, sir. So. But what could be?
1: That is true. You know. You know what would have made the falling so much better? An Orson Welles cameo. <laughs> Isn't that true of
0: everything? Okay. Well, right. you know what? While well, we're on a, a roll of mm. <laughs> depressing relationship stuff, yes. <laughs> Something else that you had the the uh, pleasure, shall uh-huh. we say? Uh, of um, of catching, which is Dark Places, which uh, is the latest adaptation for, of a novel by Gillian Flynn, uh, who wrote Gone Girl. The the movie, though, I, I don't think any other movie has had people so read divided. what they want into it. Oh yeah, which of course <laughs> is you know from a cultural perspective why it's been so popular.
1: Uh, it's kind of a litmus test.
0: It is either the most feminist or or the most misogynistic movie released in the last 5 years and it is impossible yeah. to tell which it's like it, you 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 read that onto yourself but th- this it is to be... the
1: arts what Oleana was to the 90s oh, only yeah. written by a female with all of the uh, sort of well Oleana's is a whole other conversation but you know the
0: one thing I I almost... saw Julia Stiles do Oleana in uh, in oh. the West End well who was uh, who was the uh, oh, the male his face um oh two-face from Batman ah
1: Harvey Dent? Uh, no, uh, obviously not Harvey Dent. Uh, I know who you mean. Square Jawed, not Tommy Lee Jones. No, uh, the yeah. Square Jawed uh, Him. guy. Who's great? Yes, I can imagine. So that that it being was a, a show, and it was
0: the uh, the place was virtually empty. Uh, oh wow. and It was amazing. Aaron uh, Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart, and they were great. Anyway, um, side point. Well, I wanted to almost point out that you know
1: really. There's a lot of female-centric films in in our particular slate. I think they tend to be either the most interesting of the films we're reviewing today, or or at least the ones that will uh, provoke the most conversation. Zipper, by the way, I should point out, on the cover of Zipper, it says, This year's Gone Girl. And now we're reviewing a uh, film that was based on a novel by the actual author of Gone Girl, Dark Places, not to be confused with Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. That would have been a much more entertaining movie than this. This is a very handsomely mounted film. Uh, Charlize Theron, as always, does good work, even though they try to grunge her up. Uh, If you've seen Monster, or even uh, Fury Road, uh, you know that she can be made unattractive. They don't really try in here, other than put on... They dress her in the same outfit over and over, dolgy white t-shirts with holes torn in them and a green trucker's cap that cannot disguise the fact that she's got a 500 hundred dollar haircut under there <laughs> and this movie is a mess maybe i haven't read the book so maybe it's just a case of the adaptation the book may be excellent but this is such a byzantine silly plot i i really don't recommend this film uh I wish I could say something more intelligent about it But I don't want to spend a lot of time on this film Suffice <laughs> it to say <laughs> it's that like yeah, you sad You've seen better Dear movies movie. than this Charlene Theron does a good job It's a good cast But at the end it's such i a... so, so I'm what, so disappointed by the are, denouement of this film
0: What's the, what's the, what's the, the boil down of the, of the, the plot the, the generic but overly complicated plot That seems yes. to burden this film down
1: It starts with an interesting premise And just gets worse from there uh, Charlize Theron, uh, as a child, her entire family uh, was murdered. And
0: well, that's what happens everybody- if you live in Kansas.
1: Yes, yeah, it has that very much that feel. And the and in the eighties, uh, be- during the uh, uh, mass hysteria, back to that word uh, about a satanic rituals, the satanic amusal, panic, <laughs> the satanic panic. Her brother is accused of gunning down the entire family, and somehow she escapes. And for the rest of her life since, she's kind of been a professional victim, uh, selling a book and eliciting donations from sympathetic people, uh, and then she is invited to be a lecturer, for a fee of course, to something called the Murder Club, which is run by Nicholas Holt, uh... And it's basically... On, a... It's a Mad Max Fury
0: Road uh, uh, reunion. Well, they all spare that afternoon. They're like, let's, let, let, They, let's they probably a, made this during that time a during throw, the sandstorm. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's like, you know, production's halted while the sandstorm blows over. Uh, we'll just crank this piece of junk out. It, it's kind of an interesting but icky premise, you know. So he's like, oh, we, we talk about murders, and then we also have kind of a cosplay thing. And, you know, we try to, <laughs> oh, you know, oh, that guy's pretending to be this particular serial killer, and but we're not all like that. We're really more interested in solving cold cases, so we'd like you to come in and just talk about your memories, because we have, you know, a lot of theories as to who actually did this. We think your brother is innocent. Her brother, who at some point could have probably just said, "Nah, no, nah, I didn't do it. But of course, it was played by uh, Corey Stahl, who's in everything these days. Yeah, who, uh, who has he got photos of? Yeah, really. He's great. I mean, he's,
0: he's, great, I mean, he's like, great. No, really? He's great
1: in this, but he's given...
0: Horrible, horrible motivations.
1: And again, on, I can't it, speak did, about uh, it. I'm just trying to place
0: it, it when, it, at what point in his career it is. Uh, does he have a hair in this? No. Ah, uh, right. So it's he it's. Uh, he must have made this after they made him shave it off. For I'm not sure whether the strain made him shave it off, or the strain gave an excuse for him to shave it off so he could do Ant Man. Um, but it seems like There's a point in his career Where he suddenly goes You know what It's
1: all going ladies I, The first time I ever saw him Was in House of Cards And he was bald then too so I, I I think yeah, he's just One of those guys he had, he
0: had hair in, um, in, yeah. the, in the strain Wig There's your baldy bald They did a very good job Of doing a fake shave then Chris has been keeping track of of, uh, Corey Stahl's hairline, clearly. Uh, I just want to point out that in a discussion
1: of Dark Places, Corey Stahl's follicular challenges has been the more interesting topic. Uh, It's really a mess of a plot. Again, handsomely mounted, good production design, good production value, good performances for the most part. It's just when you finally... There should be a satisfying moment in any thriller when you go, yes, of course, aha. And this film tries to give you that, and when it does, you go, wow, that's horrible. That's stupid. I completely don't believe any of the motivations any of these people have. Uh, So I can honestly tell you, if you hated Gone Girl, you'll hate this more. (laughs) If you loved Gone Girl, you'll still hate this movie.
0: You know, I think think we need a change of pace. And Halloween is just around the corner, so I think we need a a good monster movie. Uh Uh-oh. Unfortunately, we've only got Mosquito. Speaking Um, of things that suck... Ba-dum-bum-cha! Um,
1: okay. It was too easy.
0: Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, um... I put more effort into that joke than the filmmakers did a Mosquito. If you've ever seen a Sci-Fi Channel original monster movie, (laughs) and you wondered where did where did these come from what what how did we get from classic mm-hmm. universal and z-grade drive-in movie monster monster movies that would like a bit crappy but not as not like this terribly phoned in where once in a while you'll get something decent but generally they'll be dismal what what happened mosquito <laughs> was what happened in 1995 a bunch of people who'd, who'd been produced, like, I think third or fourth line producers on much better films. Uh, the remake of The Blob, Prince of Darkness, They Live, like the later late Carpenter stuff. Some of the, you know, some decent films, but they were producers. From I'm the sorry. producers of. But, I, you know, yeah, there is nothing weaker bad. than saying from the producer of. It's like, right. I hate no. No. I mean, like, they cut a check. From the people uh, who brought you, blank. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of producers who I know are deeply involved sure. in putting a film together. Larry Fessenden. Uh, you know, absolutely. You oh, know, he's one of these guys who's on set all the fucking time. You know, I, but I know he does. You know, I don't know what the fuck these people did, but basically they went, let's, let's do a film where it starts off... The the UFO from um, the the nineteen fifties nineteen fifties War of the World crashes and a mosquito sucks some blood out of one of the aliens. And you just see and the alien the three fingered alien hand. And you're right. like, oh, and remember you- them when the ants got radiated and grew yep. huge, and these become giant mosquitoes
1: with the sort of protruding proboscis that want to make you think of the Giger alien.
0: Let me, except done much cheaper. Let, let me say that what's good about about this. The fact that the mosquitoes are, the giant mosquitoes are actually really good. They're For the a time and the of, budget, yes. Yeah, they're a mixture of Rubber monsters, um, stop motion. Yes, <laughs> I there's think there's even some CG. Animation. Yeah, there's even some CG uh, in I there. I don't think there's CG. Some, Maybe I some, some real like primitive CG compositing. Some very, some very primitive. Uh, there's even uh, when they do a big cloud of them. There's actually some hand animated stuff. Oh yeah, so it's it you know that stuff is really rather fun. What's bad about it? Pretty much everything else. This is where you start getting all the all the ingredients that you see in these later horrible Mm -hmm. sci-fi channel movies there is an expert who warns everybody that that everything's going to go wrong Uh, who's reminiscent
1: of the lead character in Night of the Living Dead the original
0: there are there's a couple who are kind of grumpy at each other but this is going to bring their relationship together as everybody around them dies um there's a couple of celebrity cameos we get ron ashton Ashton. from the The stooges Stooges, yes Uh, i liked him in this even though he was the best thing because he did not take it seriously
1: no he here here is the one thing i will say and i'm sorry to cut you off oh no no but i have to say i like this movie just a little bit better but only because of everything that came before it (laughs) i was watching it because i watched some real stinkers and some real depressing shit so Mosquito, fetid though it may be, was a breath of fresh air by comparison. I was like, oh, this is fun. Everybody in the movie knows that this is a joke. Nobody takes it seriously. For no- I actually had to remind myself by looking at the box that it was made in 1995. Because yeah. I thought, this is an 80s movie. This feels, from the film stock to the cheesy, schlocky, kind, this feels like a 1980s uh, video, you know, it should have been released in like a clamshell VHS box, Uh and I appreciated the old school effects. And the very fact of the matter is that
0: everybody. Oh, Gunner Henderson! Gunnar, Gunnar Henderson turns The original Leatherface. There is there is literally, the, the reason for having him there is there is a moment where they go where he gets a chainsaw is, and, he, and he basically goes, "This feels right." He says, "I, feel I haven't right held one of these in twenty years." I feel right. It Brian, was good. I feel yeah. right, and it, it's <laughs> absolutely why you should he, have him in the movie. You could virtually see him turn around after that and go, uh, "Check, yeah, check, please." Oh, well, I mean, come it, on! This How is a, picky could he have been? He was uh, probably grateful for the check. Oh, he's no—he basically doesn't give a shit about acting. He—he—he's uh, a poet. Yeah. He is a published poet and writer. He basically like you know does the Gunnar Hansen thing. He's yeah. like still slightly baffled by the fact it's successful yeah. uh, and that people are paying money. But he's like he's, he's like yeah I, I did that and I I didn't really like acting that much and I kind of gave up on it. Yeah, you know. And hey, if you've got this one
1: thing that people will pay you for, why not? M- my. F- for me, the moment, and this is very early in the movie, when I realized exactly what I was getting into, uh, which was just an endless riff on much better movies, is there is a moment where the two, the, two uh, the male and female romantic leads, if you want to call them that, they run over a giant mosquito on the way to a state park, go, what the hell is that? Get out of the car. And he says, what was that? Well, I don't know. You're the animal expert. Why don't you tell me? She pulls out this enormous proboscis, says what it is. She goes, Oh, it's a huge proboscis, like you might find on a mosquito. He's like, Huh, we should take it to the lab. Nobody. And he's like, Nah, it's not a mosquito. It's too big to be a bug. It's like, What else has a proboscis? Anyway, suffice it to say, not realistic scientific behavior. But hey, you realize what kind of schlocky movie you're in for and after some of the crap we had to watch <laughs> Mosquito felt like a nice breath of fresh air
0: you know I mean gen, the thing is generally it gets all better from it. it, it does there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of quality work in there yeah. uh, I mean the, this is the, a a a solid uh, you know it, it, like I said this is kind of a turning point CBS movie it's got to up
1: do, all night movie
0: yeah it's it. you you will find as if, if you like this kind of cheapy monster movie it's a really good restoration by Synapse yeah uh, they put a lot of uh, extras in here. There's a uh, an audio commentary. I think the, uh, there's uh, a making of where they found, I think, pretty much everybody who's still alive yeah. in this, including potentially the actual mosquitoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, they're descendants. You know, the, the, they control the estate of and the a, a, mosquito. And any uh, entomologist watching this will probably go, but they're too large. They couldn't fly with their wings, no, which is, which right, is an yeah. absolutely reasonable point. Uh, <laughs> it's a
1: terrible but Nobody was interested in reason on this movie But if you ever wanted to see The ATV sequence from Aliens Restaged inside of a camper With, you know, 50 bucks This is a pretty good example Of how to do it
0: Well, moving on to another one that I think You got a catch, uh, chance to see I did see this one, but, yes. uh, I, I Because it's it's film festival season uh, And I'm therefore watching films that no one else Has seen at this point <laughs> Yeah, that's, <laughs> just rubbing that all in. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, this is the raid. Yay! No, not that one. Not the, one not, not the Indonesian one with all the head kicking. This is a 1991 uh, Hong Kong action comedy by uh, Ching Siu Tong and and, so- and Soi Hart. Yes. Ah, so Still some head kicking. Some, co- some credibility here. So yes. Soi Hart, a uh, uh, man not to be messed with. So, you know, I love the Indonesian raid. What am I going to feel about this? If you ever saw an episode of Young
1: Indiana Jones, you might dig this. I mean, uh, it, I mean, trying very hard did. to have Done. It's basically uh, sold, from what I understand, and I don't know anything about this. I just cleaned this from the box cover. Uh, this is loosely based on a Chinese comic called Doctor Choi, who is an older man. He's a doctor, as the name implies, but also an adventurer. So imagine Indiana Jones starting from Crystal Skull. His best years are already behind him. But he's always game for an adventure, and at some point he gets uh, involved in a uh, Chinese army plot to invade uh, a Manchurian, Japanese-run chemical weapons factory and destroy it. It has a lot of comic book elements. From the titles on through the film, you will see moments that are then translated into uh, this nice sepia-toned comic book art. The action is very cartoony. The humor is very cartoony. And frankly, this is part of the weakness of the film in that it's so reliant on gags that you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of cheesy. Uh, and it's not always... There are moments where I feel that the budget or time constraints, something caused it from being as good as it could have been. However... There's two extended comic moments, no explosions, no crazy stuff like that. But basically, they're, they're uh, screwball comedy routines. And most audiences would probably find them really dull because suddenly you're out of the action. They're narratively not important. But there there's more love put into those two sequences than anything else in the movie. And I think it's really Soy Hark's kind of way of going, you know, I love those old movies, and I want to try to make one of those. It also helps that Dr. Choi is, is a very sweet, lovable character. He's this older man, and everyone's like, thank you, Dr. Choi, you know, you, we really appreciate what you've done, but the battlefield is no place for an old man. You'll just slow us down. And, of course, he shows up and saves the day with his enormous sword and lots of slapstick.
0: I, I have to ask, because... Um there's been a lot of chinese films about the manchurian occupation over the last Mm -hmm. few years um they i mean that is the the go-to which we at a time where it's i know japanese relations are are pretty pretty rough anyway um is this horribly racist because a lot of those contemporary depictions of the japanese are horribly racist Uh, well you know literally one i watched recently Mm -hmm. um there was a bunch of Japanese char- uh, Chinese characters who wanted to disguise themselves as Japanese, so they oh, actually boy. cut uh, orange peel teeth. Oh my god! And I'm sure one of them actually said "Solly," and I was like, "Are, are you what? Oh, wow. Is this the apartment? I Like, it's what like, the hell is this?"
1: You know, I, I don't have the heart to tell them that white people have been doing that for Chinese people impersonations as well. Yeah. Uh, no, the Japanese – there's two Japanese characters in here who are actually quite enjoyable, uh, hissable villains, but they're not – one is a movie actress who's also a spy, and the other one is this sort of uh, handler for the an – And the one actual character, I should say, in this is uh, Puyi. Uh, who was the emperor, the Manchurian emperor that the uh, Japanese were trying to uh, set up as the puppet dictator for the China once they conquered it, which didn't happen. He is played as an utterly, utter buffoon, basically a man-child. Uh, he has two Japanese handlers, and the first time you see uh, Masa, who is uh, the male of the two, uh, he's basically dressed in Nazi regalia. This, by the way, to kind of tie into the the, that period, it's it's set during World War II. Uh, so again, it's imagine... You know what? What's another way to put it? Uh, imagine Sean Connery's character in Last Crusade playing the Indiana Jones role. Uh-huh. It's, like, it's like let's take Dad and make him the hero of this movie. And he's a very sweet, lovable character. You know, he's got his niece who's always getting into trouble. It's got an enormous cast. The problem is... A lot of times the humor and this huge cast means we don't get to spend a lot of time with Dr. Choi, who disappears while we spend time on these side characters. So this is a lot of fun. If you like old movie serials, if you like Indiana Jones, if you like comic books, if you like Hong Kong action, if you like you know, uh World War Two stories, this has got a little bit of everything. Uh it's very inconsequential it's very light, uh but it's fun. Uh it was one of the more fun movies I watched on here. I won't probably see it again. It's probably not Soy Hark's best work, but it looks like he had a lot of fun making it on a very low budget, on a very tight schedule, and for that I applaud him for making it so good as it was.
0: Well, I mean, it's odd because we, you know, I mean, this is Soy Hark who, who you know, he's famous for, I think, some of the most loved um, Chinese mm-hmm. films uh, that, that have ever got to, over to America. I mean, you're talking about better tomorrow chinese ghost story once upon a time in china i you know, had a recent um resurgence with the detective d movies yeah. um and we got a movie from you know i think somebody who is could be regarded as as very much a a, a peer in asian film which yeah. is andrew lao um mm. you know who who did the infernal affair series uh legend of the fist which is flawed but has got some some good stuff Holy shit balls, what the hell is the avenging fist? <laughs> For is, a,
1: it's two hours of samo hung fat jokes while he wears a chrome
0: fedora. This is the this is it's awful. This is one of these things where you think somebody had an idea and they went to the director and went Okay, you know, I know this is a little bit out of your normal domain, but but give it a shot. This, this might work. No. No, it didn't. It's first of all product. First of all... 20 years too late... It, it had... <laughs> it it had a... It's major plot... Uh, was to... Um, it was built around the Nintendo Power Glove... Which apparently in the future will turn out to be a super powerful weapon... That uh, a certain class of police... Uh, can use to unlock the other 80% of their brain... Uh, oh. ...to have super ninja powers... In uh, future, ...it also gives them the chrome hats... Chrome ...as you hats. said... It will, ...if you get to be chief... ...you have Samo to work that chrome up, hat... And, ...and this is... Uh, ...at the point in Samo's career... ...where he is clearly... ...not just a bit out of shape... ...and a bit weighty... ...but this is after he'd come to the States... ...and taken a few easy paychecks... Yeah. Um, ...he... ...he looks dreadful here... ...he is sweating while walking... Even when doing wire work, there's a point where he's supposed to jump up in the yes. air and come down with all his power and all his might. And he, re- and he comes down with slightly less weight than one of the particularly small and feeble goblins from Labyrinth uh, during uh, Dance Magic Dance. Uh, what you mean. This is... Oh, my God. I, this is one of these ones where you try and describe the plot... And it's so stupidly complicated. Yeah. And Samuel Hung didn't... is the best part of this movie,
1: uh, uh, which That's, is sad. As much he... as we're making fun of it, he's he... the most comprehensible part of this movie. Uh, this, uh,
0: basically, it's in the future, and people fight with digitally enhanced. Uh, All guns have been outlawed. Superpowers, however, being a Nazi yeah. seemingly hasn't, because a bunch of a bunch of kind of weird techno Nazis yes. turn up.
1: And um, they're the bad guys, and the federal government is good. <laughs> even though they, about, I mean, really, when I saw that, given the current conversation in America today, I thought, okay, this could be kind of relevant. Boy, was it not! It's like it has, it goes nowhere. It's just every dystopian
0: and it's, uh, sci-fi
1: it's, cliche shoehorned in for no reason whatsoever. And what's weird is that it, I think
0: they were trying for something Matrixy. It's post Matrix, but, it, but it's done with this kind of Weirdly light comedic tone that yes. undercuts everything dark and dismal. And when the bunch of, of, of Nazi of, of like cyber Combat judo Nazis yeah. turn up, you're like, I don't even know what's going on here. The character, there were at least two characters who I'm fairly sure I got confused for large stretches uh, of the I. time. They're, these are characters you can only tell apart because of their ridiculous haircuts. Everybody uh, has anime hair. In this. Oh yeah, there, nothing about this. No, I, mean, I really was watching this going. Oh, really? The, really this is it has is, it, a is it a so different
1: Andrew? terribly now? oh, the last so- time you saw the the last time anybody thought
0: this movie looked good, windows x p had just come out, and people were impressed this may have somebody may have dusted down a video toaster this this was awful, but the, the I mean, fact it's that so poorly the fact that they they actually go you know I'm trying to get into street fights so I can find the money to pay for a power glove, and all I could think of now was um the, uh, the band, which does 8-bit covers of, of, uh, old, of classic uh, gaming themes called Power Glove. Yeah. Oh, The Wizard as well. This is, <laughs> the Wizard, which I think had slightly better CG.
1: You know what? This, is, this movie was made in the exact same year as Mosquito, and the effects in Mosquito have aged better. This movie sucks. This, this movie really, really, really sucks. There know, are movies that we're going to talk about tonight that suck for one reason or another, but this one had so much talent, obviously threw some money at it, and yet awful, because it never, it tries to be, I mean, it's got elements of Star Wars, here's my father, who's now working for who, the bad who now guys, has a wee, and has now has an inexplicable
0: uh, chrome, you know, uh, hot, chrome mask thing that yeah, like you're like, yeah. I don't even, and when it and falls off and he talks again, about the force, you know, it's like... True. Oh, no, explicitly doesn't talk about. The they don't about force. Talks exactly. about the. There's a forceful thing. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up, it's assholes. Like, remember, the power of the avenging fist comes
1: uh, not from anger, not from hatred, because that leads to the dark side, kids. No, it comes from love, which is what I'm always thinking about when I'm punching some dude in the face.
0: I bring you love. Ugh! Kill it. Talking of horrible, terrible. You know what? I'm gonna because uh, I'm angry after that, but I'm angry because uh, inadvertently that was shitty. Um, let's good with a, make a film bad movie. That, that was actually, like, seemingly built around hating the audience. Mm. Um, I remember early in the year when when Chris saw The Gallows. Uh, oh, well, well no, Brian. Brian. Brian, Brian. Brian saw The Gallows. Uh, Hiya, Brian. Miss you. Um, and he seemed legitimately angry about it. Now, the thing is, I I like found footage movies. Oh, I like you're the exception. I like Bloom. I think a fan footage movie's done well. I think uh, you know, and it's actually the story calls for it. And there's this question of like, what if, whose eyes you're looking for, and the deception inherent in that. They can work really well. I like Bloomhouse. I think Bloomhouse is hit to, to miss record. Has actually been pretty solid. I love the fact you've got a studio out there that is actually going to give three million dollar movies, a, horror movies, a chance. They have rebuilt that as a pivotal part of the market. Good for them Jason Bloom genuinely believes in horror movies He will put horror movies out However The fucking gallows (laughs) Sorry just scared a cat Which by the way For the
1: visual Is while he's been Ranting about the gallows This cat has been Nibbling on the toes Of a skeleton Seated right next to Richard so I can only assume it's a previous reviewer uh, who, uh, who, 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 who went on a bit too long and Chris just had to terminate his relationship oh with my the God. site
0: with this prejudice. Is, this is a, a one of these films where you go, look, I, I will extend disbelief on the setup to a, a film to a certain degree, but then there's a point where you go, no, no. The idea is that in 1993, this, this high school with the best theater arts department I had ever seen in my life uh, puts on a play called The Gallows, um, which seemingly involves uh, period pieces and, and a gallows. It, it's and- basically a pastiche of The Crucible and uh, uh,
1: that the final moment of that. Dickens novel where he goes it's a far better thing
0: I do today. Tales of Two Cities. Tales
1: of Two Cities. Sale
0: of Two Titties. Yeah. Um, they, Some guy they, sacrifices himself the, to get hanged. In the only performance <laughs> that they have um, the guy who is supposed to get hung in the play actually gets hung because they built a real gallows because seemingly they're idiots. Yes. This that is the dumbest problem. high school ever. So dumb a high that 20 years later they decide to do it again. And I'm like, I'm sorry. If you'd had somebody die in a production of uh, b- production of The Pirates of Penzance, you would never do a gilbert Sullivan Operator again in the, in the history of your school. No, you just wouldn't. You just make, no, th- no. You make that sound like a bad thing. Well, yeah. Well, no. He is the very model of a modern major. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, and now, you have this high school jock Who seems to have been given the job of creating the -the behind-the-scenes documentary, even though he is an unendurable prick and can't work a a camera.
1: No, eh, okay, uh, I'm going to cut you off a little bit here, uh, because I like this movie slightly better than you did, and only slightly, because (laughs) I was a 90s theater nerd.
0: So Went to high school. We would have Went, killed I, this
1: guy <laughs> We would have killed this guy The one thing that took me out of the movie immediately Was like, it's mandatory Like no, no theater makes participation mandatory No theater program In any high school I've ever heard of Makes participation in theater program possible The, For lack of a better word At first he feels like the protagonist Because he's the guy controlling the camera The whole time Raging prick they want to sabotage the play. Now, here's their, here's their brilliant idea on how to sabotage the play. For no other reason than they just don't want to do it. And he talks about it as though it's some kind of moral good to end this play. He's like, no, it's going to be embarrassing. It's stupid. Why should we even do it, man? What we're going to do is we're going to break into the school in the middle of the night, and we are going to destroy the set, and then they will have to cancel the show. And here's where I checked out. If you've ever worked in theater not going to set over it's not going to stop you no in fact all they do is they dismantle a few stairs they knock over a few p- fake trees i've worked crew they break they I've break been a, a props person plate. a couple times Ooh. you know what you you've caused me 15 minutes of inconvenience these guys are total amateurs when it comes to sabotage so up to that i'm kind of enjoying some of the little the some of the little types that hang around the theater i'm enjoying that aspect of it But where I really check out is, like you said, the cameraman for most of the film is an insufferable prick. And then on top of it, there is a ending that is supposed to feel like some gut-wrenching twist that just feels like it comes out of nowhere. And it's there's a very good idea in this movie. And I normally hate found footage movies at all. To me, it is the laziest approach to filmmaking because I simply... I don't know anybody on the planet who is going to stand still and try to photograph something when common sense says
0: they should run. Well, that's the thing. Found footage, when done well, gives you a reason for the camera to be going. It has to have... A logic that is built into the narrative. Right. Why do they keep the camera going? That's why Blair Witch works. There's a reason why they keep the camera going. They're a film crew. Yeah, right. This is, you know, so you have to have a logic for it. This doesn't, other than the fact that uh, you know, found footage because really? cheap. You know, this is this we're, is the we're using gives, the light on the camera, or we forgot to turn it this off. Get, this is what gives off. found footage the bad name that it's got. The only thing that could be interesting about this, and I, I may, I'm going to have to go watch this, is that they apparently. Uh, they shot yes uh, they originally shot this totally guerrilla style and then Blumhouse went oh you know there's a gem of an idea here let's do a slightly bigger budget version of it I'm like I don't know how you spend more money to make something that looks this shabby yeah because you could uh, and and maybe the original version is far better it really couldn't be much worse it
1: could be Uh, but again I give it a I have a little soft spot in my heart for you know for the theatre I like the fact that it's set in a theater if you've ever been... and I kind of like horror movies that are set in theaters whether it's stage fright or theater of blood. There's something to be said if you've ever been in a theater late at night when nobody's there. It's a very, very creepy place. And they have a lot of potential to do something interesting with it. They just really don't. So you could find better found footage films than The Gallows, that's for sure. You could
0: shit a better found footage film than The Gallows, (laughs) I don't want to put that to the test. Oh, oh! You know, that what? sounds like you've I'm, spent a lot of time in the toilet. I'm, I'm, I'm angry enough now. I'm angry enough now. Anybody who's been following me on Twitter uh, at Yorkshire TX for the past few days, uh, or on Facebook, uh, or caught our review of the Last Witch Hunter, has had fair warning. <laughs> <sighs> Little bit of a setup here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there is a. Um, uh, I, I am a big pro wrestling fan. There is a guy called Brian Alvarez. Hello, Brian. I'm a huge fan of his work. Uh, he is one of the best pro wrestling journalists out there. His podcasts are—he's uh, yeah, one of the first people in the business. The guy is a pioneer. Um, He—I I, I love his insight. On three occasions in his career, he has had to give a match negative five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, I will be doing the cinematic equivalent of a Brian Alvarez negative five stars um, uh, match for skin traffic. And I should point out, this is a film
1: I didn't You are watch. so lucky. You are so lucky. I- I've put a moratorium on any films that
0: have unnecessary Ks in the title. Oh, my, my God. This is... Okay, let's start off. There is a, a, a whole class of actor. Who, if they appear on a film you know that basically they went look they paid them $50,000 turn up for two days shoot something extremely quick just so they could say they had their name on the box mm-hmm. okay the Mickey Rourke who now looks like a mushroom yeah he has Eric totally. Roberts who looks like a dehydrated mushroom <laughs> Daryl Hannah, who clearly, like, you look at her and go, "Wow, a, what a fine," Tarantino a is the only person who knows how to handle your shit. Um, yeah, Jeff Fahey, who is lovely. But my god, that man needs a better agent. Like, I'm so glad he's doing the Industrial Dawn series because, like, clearly that keeps him busy for a little while and gives him more stuff to do. Um, His house and, is much nicer than ours. And Let's Michael Madsen, who just looks sad during this. When you've got all five of them plus the guy from um, the, the British Act whose name escapes me, whose sole purpose it is is to turn turn up and, and shout the c word at people uh, in bad gangster movies. When you've got all oh, six I of know them, who you mean. you've got all six of them. Nothing good can come of it, and that is what skin traffic is. This is thirty years ago. Something good might have come. Oh my god, nothing. But not today. This is this is one of the worst things I I, I literally ever seen in my life. Um, uh, you have uh, uh, Gary Daniels who turns up as a hitman with with a little bit of a conscience. Um, you will spend the first ten minutes thinking he's Ray Parks. But then you realise that Ray Parks has way more charisma and charm than this. And he's probably like two inches shorter. Um, He is sent to basically extort uh, Mickey Rourke's character into backing down on something. Mickey Rourke, being a mushroom, refuses to back down. He's so white and weird and puffy these days. He just looks like somebody inflated him with Play-Doh after he finished the Expendables. I I don't know what the hell happened with him. Um, It's Botox. He then accidentally ends up killing somebody that he shouldn't kill and feels really guilty about it and tries to make this up make it up to himself by being a good guy but he can only be a good guy by killing people which is very generic but then he disappears into this weird lumbering plot about sex trafficking with the worst annoying sidekick with a terrible fake accent uh people die randomly the list of the people who turn up and go oh i need the money i really need the money are all in it for about twenty seconds, and you want to cry. Michael Madsen turns up and just basically goes, "I'm better than this shit," but I'm going to be good in it because I'm so much better than this shit. This oh, is he made an effort to be good. The, no, he, he made an effort. He made an effort to be sad. Um, the the action sequences of which there are a lot are utterly ineptly shot and edited. The plot does nothing, goes nowhere, takes a sudden lurch in the final act, and you go, uh, and, and has the audacity. The audacity to try and set it up for, for a sequel, <laughs> whereas uh, there are various fight sequences which are supposed to be gun battles, where it, it requires somebody to basically go, "That guy has a gun. I'm going to wait here for like 30 seconds while he shoots everybody else in the room and turns to shoot me." Like, I'm sure there's one one point where somebody stands there so long that the, the Gary Daniels character reloads. They're like, I'll, I'll kill you in a second. It's all right, no rush. Like are all the security people attached to these people like, supposed to be suicidal? This is—it's so bad that it—it it, it actually made me angry. Uh, like at every single—oh, and it spells it spells skin traffic traffic with a K. Fuck you. Exactly. You know the only film that can get away with that is Traffic. Yep. Sorry. Fuck you. You are a Crash to Traffic. This is this is. A shithole of a movie. This is the kind of of lazy, stupid, somebody got a tax write-off, somebody was blowing somebody bullshit that makes you think every single one of these actors should reconsider their life choices. Uh, Particularly Michael Madsen, who I've talked to, and he goes, you do these films because they pay you, you know your name's going to appear on the box, and people are going to be angry with you because you're in it for five minutes, and you go, fuck it, it keeps my heart on the road. He admits he takes this shit so he can actually do stuff that he really loves, which generally is not even making films anymore. So this, sure. the final proof of this is pay poets more, you fuckers. So to conclude, this is negative five stars. Oh, my God, I hated this so much. <laughs> oh, I feel lightheaded now. You know what? Let's move on to something fun. Let's move on to something legitimately fun, which is actually also at every level a terrible movie. But my God, I have a degree of passion <coughs> for this.
1: <laughs> okay, now I gave you the opportunity to rant, mainly because you had seen the film and I had it. Manos, I had an existential crisis
0: with <laughs> this movie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Manos, the Hands the of fate. fate.
1: Often regarded as the worst movie ever made. Now, not having seen Skin Traffic, I can't, you know, do the Pepsi challenge between these two people. <laughs> I'm going to take Richard's word on it. Uh, but wow uh, for most people out there I'm guessing most people on this podcast are listening to this podcast have heard of Mono's Hands of Fate or know of it by reputation maybe you saw it on Mystery Science Theater once back in the day this film is so inept so poorly shot poorly structured poorly acted, poorly edited there is nothing good about this movie This is a movie that is often watched just because it's considered so bad it's good. My existential crisis watching this movie very late at night, trying to get all these films in so I could talk about them with you, it's like, why am I watching this? I knew it was bad. I've been told it was bad. It is legitimately bad. (laughs) And, you know... I'm sitting there at 2.30 in the morning watching this. Finally, it, it ended. It's
0: a very short movie. It's 74 minutes. I mean, it barely qualifies as a feature. It is exactly long enough it, it, to, yeah. be, to be paid on the driving uh, circuit as a feature. Because if you cut out all the pauses
1: and dead moments of this film, you've got about 12 minutes worth of movie. Yeah. It's really just, it's insufferable. And I realize that most times when we talk about shitty movies, truly shitty movies, what we're really saying when they're terrible, they're horrible, whatever we lay the hyperbole on, what we're really saying is this movie's mediocre. Yeah. But it's still, like, I could say that of Zipper, I could say that especially of Dark Places, but they are put together with a certain level of competence that you You sort of take that for granted. Things are going to be in focus. You're going to hear the audio. The audio will match the lips, movements of the actors. Nope. Nothing of that applies to this movie. And it is so truly bad that I question... I watched it because I felt I had to. If you are out there listening to this and you have not seen Manos' Hands of Fate and you're curious, please know that you are that guy... Who smells the milk before you throw it away you know that shit's bad but some part of you is compelled to sniff it we're telling you it's bad now I think Richard really has some fun with this movie but I realize watching this movie at 2.30 in the morning at my age which is I'm I'm going to be 42 before too long one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that there are more days behind you than ahead And you're going to think about all the time you wasted on stuff you didn't even (laughs) like. And you're going to think about something like Mono. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. If you like this kind of bad cinema, go for it. There's plenty of so bad it's good cinema out there. But you know what? I have finally reconciled myself to the fact that even if I live to an advanced age, I will never get to experience every great work of art there is. Whether it's literature, poetry, uh, opera, cinema, comics, whatever. I will never get to see it all. There's so much stuff that's good, it's good. Why waste your time on the stuff that's so
0: bad, it's good. So that's my two cents. I'm I not going to tell you
1: what to do, watch whatever you want. I'm not going to
0: defend Manos, The Hands of Fate, because it's terrible. It's, but well, the thing is, this isn't a film. It's not a film. No, this is this not. is not a film. This is a thing where, where a manure salesman in El Paso got some friends and went. Let's go make a movie that's kind of like uh, this. Family ends up wandering into Dracula's estate, but Dracula's estate is now like this shitty, rundown ranch in West Texas it, 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 for no reason, uh, with a, uh, a a drugged out satyr wearing pants as the uh, as the as the Igor character because apparently now. Dracula has an eye. Gore. He's yeah. also the
1: guiltiest person of taking too long to say his life.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, no. I mean, it's kind of. I enthralled. ask you a question.
1: Let me kind of. It's kind of enthralling. He rolls his eyes. Like
0: you know, you see burnout reel ends. The you know, this is this shot on sixteen millimeter with a camera that couldn't actually hold enough film for a, a thirty-second shot. So stuff will happen, and you'll actually see the end of the reel. It, it, nothing. I don't think this film was actually edited. Yeah, uh, it, it was glued together. Yeah. um But it, there's kind of a, a weird car crash charm about it, which, like, if you've got it and if you're bored one evening, will will actually be worthwhile. But what's interesting about it is because Manos has become this cultural touchstone. uh A Synapse actually found actually were able to get a, a digital restoration of this. And the list of films in the world that I thought were going to get digital restoration, not this. um but it actually has some. You will real... never
1: see the end of Orson Welles' original cut of the Magnificent Ambersons. But
0: you can but see. But you can
1: see Manos, the Hands of Fate. But what actually restored. makes this
0: release kind of fun? Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what makes this kind of fun is that, like, there's actually uh, a really good, weird making of, which basically is that was good. Which they found everybody who's still alive, and they went, "Of course, it's a piece of shit." What did you think? Like, did any of you really think that this was going to be good? Why do you still want to watch this? They, they are genuinely baffled, but kind of happy about yeah. it. Uh, a really fascinating technical piece about restoring this because it's like yes. every print that exists is battered to hell, and the fact they they managed to find and it was never very master, good to begin with the master print and actually restore it from that. It's like you're kind of looking and go, huh So even if you restore it you can't put those shots back into focus because they are st- yeah. seriously out you're of focus you're still going to see the ends of the film splice it it's it's and awful. there is actually also a, uh, a a brief piece about somebody did a puppet version of Manos a live stage the puppet hands version. felt yes which is kind of wonderful it's yeah, like this is good. a film that it, it it has developed a life that is nothing to do with the film and in that way it it's kind of interesting um but it, it, you know this is one of those things where you go it, it this is probably the best examination of the not why uh, so bad it's good exists but just the phenomenon of so bad it's good exists um moving there's on to so something. many
1: things you could be doing with your time yeah live your life go
0: out there have fun see the sun again
1: you know, we're going we're to loop. Anything but
0: that. We're going to loop around to bizarre sexuality again for. A, uh, for, um. Uh, The Little Death. Oh, another one I didn't get to see. <clears throat> uh, which. Is, uh, 2014 was a year of weird sex films. There was a lot of. Like, something in the zeitgeist happening. Possibly in the water. Yeah. Uh, but this is Australian. Oh, okay. Um, and Australia actually has a, a very deep, rich tradition of sex comedies. Hmm. uh in fact you know people kind of remember all the the uh osploitation mm-hmm. action movies actually there there were far more of what were called the ochre comedies you know about the the guy goes out and he's like you know he, he's snaggle-toothed and weird looking but for some unknown reason women want to sleep with him and it was like a grand tradition of like you know the underdog guy who still gets it in the end or rather gets it in her end um this is a much more mature in a way take on that whole genre Uh, it follows a a group of interwoven couples who uh, live in the same neighborhood who are they've all got some sexual issue or other going on that they're all trying to deal with usually by being duplicitous towards their partner uh, yeah, one of them, things. his wife is really annoying, so he sedates her. So, and <laughs> then, but but you know, then he can actually talk to her, which is kind of weird. And You are kind of like, I oh, don't see is this? Is are you saying this is? I uh, get it. Yeah, a, then there's a woman who different. can only have an orgasm when her when her husband is crying. So she does things like sends the dog Finally, to live with the neighbors with. or leaves pictures of his dead father around the house, so all, you know, so it's kind of it's not a black comedy. But it's definitely a comedy with some edge to it. Uh-huh. Its problem is that it tries to tie everything together at the end, and this doesn't work, uh, which is a real shame because there's, there's some fun stuff in here. What's best about it is actually the final segment, which is is wonderfully set set up. One of the characters is, it's only revealed late, very late on, is actually going deaf, hmm. and she's working nights in a uh, for a service, and these are a real service. Where you uh, somebody who can sign language will call them up via Skype, and then they will call a somebody on a, on a regular phone line and basically act as a sign language to spoken English translator. Mm-hmm. And she goes to work one evening, and there's this guy on the line on the Skype line, and he wants her to call a sex line. Uh, so this was going, okay. and it's. This is a wonderful fifteen-minute short, which is dirty and sweet and really clever, and actually has nothing to do with the rest of the film, really. And it's kind of clumsily locked on, and then then they try and really loop it in the mo- uh, back. You know, this kind of works. There's a there's a, a, a really entertaining little subplot. That decades ago would have been the guy who kind of like the the milkman who turns up and goes, I'm interrupting. But now he's this guy who's wandering around going, Oh, you're new to the neighborhood. Uh, uh, Sorry, I'm new to the neighborhood. Just want to come over and give you some cookies. And by the way, I am legally required to inform you. (laughs) (laughs) And he keeps turning up at like wonderfully inopportune moments. This is kind of fun. It's not perfect. Yeah. But there's there's a lot to, to be entertained by with it. Um sorry Well, this is dist- about to be the world's most uh, misguided yeah. segue uh, because of that. Um, there is comedy and there is sexual abuse mm-hmm. in this film, but in a very, very different way. Uh, i got to say, my pick of the week, no two ways about it. This was a very, very strong film, and I, I'm leaning towards your exact
1: same opinion. Uh, we're talking about, I guess I'm lucky... Call me, lucky. Uh, call me Lucky. Call Me Sorry, Lucky. Sorry, directed by Bobcat Goldwaith. Uh, when I grabbed this out of the pile, I, I know that Bob, Bobcat Goldwaith has, has directed some comedies uh, that I've heard good things about. I haven't seen any of them yet. And when I grabbed this, I, I kind of thought that's what I was getting. Uh, I, I knew nothing about this film. Richard may have had some previous knowledge. I don't know. So when I got home and I was like, well, I need to see something a little light. I thought, well, I'll pop this in. This could be some fun, snarky humor And I could enjoy it Then I realized, oh, it's a documentary And it's one of these It starts off as one of those reverential uh, documentaries About a significant, influential figure In a certain Bar- field Barry Crimmins, who is kind of
0: the godfather of, of Boston The Boston comedy yeah. scene And it's very
1: funny that, Again, with, with someone like Bobcat Goldwaith Behind the camera And a character like Barry Crimmins You're going to get a lot of famous, influential comics Who come, come out of the
0: woodwork to sing his praises
1: and, oh, and so literally part, everybody,
0: yeah, Pat Oswalt. Oh yeah, uh, uh, it's a great Who's Who. Uh, Mark Maron. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> just experience. basically pretty much everybody yeah. who's who's ever ever appeared and it's in anything. Really ever. Really funny, really fun. You kind of under, you kind of again, no, as
1: someone who had not seen this before, hadn't even really heard much about it. You kind of figure, oh, I know where this is going. It's you know the guy who started this thing. He influenced a lot of people. You know, he had his personal demons, he finally got over it, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's a feel-good sort of thing. And then he says, "And then I was abused as a child, and let me tell you in explicit detail what happened. And suddenly I was not having fun anymore, but I was riveted. Yeah. I was absolutely riveted, because <laughs> this is really hard-hitting, and it's really very emotionally raw, uh, it, with a lot of great
0: humor in it. Well, the thing about Crimmins is that, uh, you know, you start off thinking this is a documentary about... A great comedian who never quite, yeah, uh, never quite hit with the American audiences because he's too clever, he's too sharp, he's too confrontational. He will stop a show to start it to explain to people the political. the three branches of government. Yeah, yeah, kind of in the same position that Bill Hicks found himself in. Yeah, that you're like, oh yeah, I get it, and then you go. Then it says, "Well, the reason he wasn't necessarily as successful as a comedian was because he regarded success in other ways. He regarded success as being the guy that could enable other comedians to get to a better position in their career, to take more take more risks. That um, he's the guy who were, who, when AOL was going was going before Congress and trying to get, uh, you know." The Congress to take a lighter view of, of of culpability of internet service providers for criminal activity rating pornography. Crimin sits there next to the AOL lawyer and goes, no, here's what you're doing wrong, and here's where the child pornographers are in, on your systems, and you, you guys saying you need a three-strikes and you're out thing? You don't need the three-strikes and you're out. You need to call the fucking cops on these people. Crimmins being one of the pivotal figures uh, that I didn't know. I think this is also around 1995. 1995, yeah, keeps popping up a lot. But then he was also one of the uh, the key figures in the in uh, building up Camp Casey, yeah, uh, and the anti-war movement in in, in, in the and outside uh, of the the, Gulf uh,
1: the Crawford Ranch. Yeah,
0: I was like this is you know he's this guy who could have just been a successful comedian right. and would have been extremely well regarded, and is so much more and. The fact that he talks so openly about what he went through when he was sexually abused as a child, and what it, what him being able to talk about that has meant to other people, this is a really powerful piece of cinema that could have just been depressing or dark or reverential or, or bleak, and instead it is it's one of those rare times where you feel that there that this is a film made by people who truly love and respect this guy because of the whole and entirety of it even the people who love him just go yeah and he can be a difficult prick but like when he's being a difficult prick then that's when he's showing he loves you most he's not being a difficult prick just to be a prick he's being a difficult prick because he goes he's going this is the moment you can handle more confrontation from me it's going to help you it's going to benefit you and at the end of the day i'm going to give you a big hug crimins if you've never seen his work I think this is a great introduction to him as a comedian, him as a campaigner, and him as a man. This is a really powerful documentary. That honestly, I you know, in a year of strong docs, I really hope that when the uh, the Oscar shortlist comes out, if this isn't on there, I'm going to find somebody to punch in the throat. I
1: I only had one or two little quibbles with it. I, otherwise, I think my assessment of it was equal to yours. I really, really like this movie. It was. I it, it was really I benefited from not knowing what I was getting, and you know, smugly thinking, "Oh, I know what this is," and then when it pulls a rug out of me under me, uh, that's one of those great moments when you're like, "Oh, cinema can still surprise me. A story can still take me into a direction that I never thought I was going to go down." My only uh, my only real complaint about it was that there are some moments where I think it is a little reverential and borders on exploitative. And let me pinpoint those two exact moments. There is a moment, and again, I'm trying not to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it yet. There is a moment where Barry Cribbins goes back to the scene where, basically, the, where he was molested and sexually assaulted. And it, it's a very powerful moment, yet I question whether it was his choice or whether it was the filmmaker's. I hope there was a conversation.
0: I don't think you're going to get Barry Crimmins to do anything that he doesn't no, do. No, I don't think so. Either. <laughs> like, but I but, think but, he's very likely to. Them but the did somebody fuckers. suggest it? And there's a later point intercut
1: with all that. Throughout the, uh, you'll, you're going to see a lot of great archival footage of the man doing stuff from back in the day. But you're also going to see a contemporary piece of footage that was shot at the time that the documentary was being made, it feels like one of those moments that was staged for the purpose of the documentary. It's like, hey, here's this great guy. You maybe, maybe you haven't heard of him, but he's legendary. You should listen to what he has to say. Here's my thing about it is that it wasn't very funny. His new stuff, the stuff that he's doing, because I don't think it's fair to call it comedy. It reminds me of some of the Lenny Bruce stuff from his later point in his career, where it's like he's angry, he's worked up, he has some legitimate complaints, and he's burying his soul. But it's not comedy anymore.
0: But I he's doing something the, I, much darker. It's more of a story. I think that's the, that. The, yeah, we're in a place now where that is actually a, a you know comedians don't feel they've just got to go do not not jokes and I think a lot of people like you know I mean Henry Rollins has moved to that point as well where you know it's you know calling it stand up is not the thing to call it it is, it is something other correct but uh, you know and I think he's I, I'm not saying what he's doing is bad I think it's very powerful it's some of the most powerful
1: material he does but I think it's a disservice to call it
0: comedy I think the thing was that he became a comedian because at the point where he was coming through as a performer what you did was in that field was comedy yeah uh, and the other options didn't exist you know I mean the thing is that Call Me Lucky is a film that throws you for loops and does something unexpected and I'm clearly still processed San Andreas oh, our, our final film for this evening about throwing Wow, loops. does nothing no. new but god bless it it does it with fun and gusto it is this a well-oiled is, machine this is The Rock versus The Volcano uh <laughs> it's funny uh during fantastic Fest recently there was a uh scandinavian um a disaster movie called the wave and i was watching it and going you know what this does everything that you want from a, a disaster movie because it just does it and it kind of like throws a few bits of logic out the window, but it's like family trying to get it together yeah. during a disaster and the disaster looks really incredibly impressive and then they ever makes it to the end and the family is reunified Yay! Yeah. Like, and he does that because it's not holy enough for The Rock to save San Andreas, shit. he has to save his marriage too. Well, this is the only thing he saves is his marriage. I mean, holy shit! No, San Andreas God. does that like ten thousand times. The Rock is a rescue, uh, is a helicopter rescue pilot. He's the greatest, the perfect one, man for this the job, the greatest one ever. Who is getting divorced uh, from his wife Carla Cugino, who is going out with this uh, architect who builds very tall buildings mm, oh. over the San Andreas fault, mm, mysteriously. Um, now that's some clever and the, script right and their you know their their relationship is kind of falling apart. It's not explicitly said why, and you, and it's like but you're going to like it's the rock. It can't be that he's a dick. No, it's falling apart because he feels guilty because he couldn't save. Hit their one of their twin daughters from drowning. No, no, he wouldn't talk about because he was too much of a man. Yeah, it's like you That's what stopped the marriage. He, he wouldn't talk about. gritted teeth, it. and you know he's supposed to be taking his daughter to to college, but he can't because like some you know suddenly there's an earthquake uh, in Nevada where the the researchers uh, suddenly realize like oh uh, you know oh is the big one coming? Yes, California is about to fall off. And boy, does California fall off? This oh is my, basically yes. two hours of uh, Rocky Johnson, good old Dwayne, uh, <laughs> yo, know, going. Holy shit! I can hit things. There's nothing for me to hit. You can't hit this. You can't hit an earthquake. California falls in, basically falls into the water. There's a tsunami. There's explosions. There's oh, you know, they throw buildings everything. fall there. But God damn, this is a fun ride. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the last films
1: I saw. It was one of those films that I thought, if I don't get around to seeing this, I'm okay with it. And I ended up enjoying it. I did finally manage to squeeze it into the schedule. And absolutely, Richard is right. There are no surprises. You've seen every single beat in this movie. I mean, you've seen every single horror movie. Not horror movie. I'm sorry, disaster movie. If you see San Andreas Fault, you're going to see every beat you have ever seen in a similar film. But, the exception is, this movie has the budget to pull it off. Holy hell is it. I mean, really, they they have recreated California and destroyed it to the point where I think Warner Brothers is just going to set every movie for the next 5 to 10 years in San Francisco so they can pay off that investment. They're like, don't we still have San Francisco in the hard drive? We built it from scratch. Let's just shoot it there. We'll do the whole thing green screen and just replicate it in the back uh, on some servers. It is beautifully recreated,
0: but you will not have any surprises. No, no this nothing. Movie. Nothing's going to shock you. But you'll get business. everything you want. Well, yeah, this is this is this is big dumb action fair, and God bless it for being exactly yes. that. You know what? What is that? Sir? We've re- we've reached that point. Uh-huh. We've reached that point. It's time for the giveaway. Oh, you know what? what yeah, we've yeah, we got, got through away. all the, got, got through all the films. Uh, yeah, it is time for the giveaway. Um... Ladies and gentlemen, if you liked American Horror Story, uh, but go, God, this is dumb and sometimes quite insulting to my intelligence, you'll love Penny Dreadful. <laughs> and we uh-huh. have uh, season two of the uh, the Showtime, uh, uh, gothic, horror, romance, sexy time, Victorians, Frankenstein, Dracula, everybody, the basically started off as they couldn't actually get the rights uh, to the League of extraordinary gentlemen and they decided to do something I think arguably just as interesting and works better in the TV format uh yeah uh, dumping you in season two but this is rather wonderful fun uh, i I'm a fan of this uh, I think chris is uh, pretty pretty up on it yeah I, we have got the two thumbs up from the Coxmeister that sounded weird uh so here yeah. here is what you have to do to win uh this um uh, complete season two uh, on. Are we on DVD or on Blu-ray? DVD. We're on DVD, so you know you c- you can watch this anywhere, folks. Um, okay, here you are. You need to follow us uh, on Twitter at oneofusnet. On, is it on one of us net? One of us at one of us net. I keep forgetting. Uh, using the and uh, send us with the tweet us with the hashtag uh, uh, Penny Dreadful giveaway. Can you, okay, Chris is saying Penny Dreadful. Keep <laughs> okay. it safe. Get back at the peanut gallery, you. Sorry. Um, and so the, the, uh, the question is, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, revamped uh, and recast uh, classic monster stories. Um, if you could bring back any one classic monster, oh. but you have to cast that monster as well. So, you know... If you if you're thinking of like who would I really like to see as the creature from the black lagoon, yeah, you know, go go with that. You know go come up with come up with who you would like to see back as a, uh, a which monster you would like classic monster you would like to see and who playing that part. Go to town, come up with something really creative, and you can win Penny Dreadful season two on DVD. Again, tweet us at one of us net uh, using the hashtag Penny Dreadful. You know what? We did it. We'll not we do another one. Uh, I thank you again, Marco, for being here. Thank Great you. fun as always. Yes sir. Uh, so that leaves me to only say, um, to to quote Brian, uh, No release is too big, no release is too small, from criterion to catastrophe, we review them all and my god we got through them all today. Yes. Bye! Sir. Good
1: night.